the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Welcome to our Patreon-exclusive interview series for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Tonight's interview is with the star of Manhunter, The Monster Squad, and RoboCop 2. Actor, Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan, thank you so much for being on Podcasting After Dark. Sure. It's Glad re- to be here. It's really, it's really a pleasure. I, I got I to gotta tell you, um, personally, uh, your body of work is, it has been such a huge part of my life and throughout the years, and it's really, hey. truly an honor to have you on the show um, to discuss everything. Sure. Yeah, and and Corey, Corey, uh, Corey, and I before we set this whole thing up, Corey's like, well, we're, we're gonna talk about RoboCop too, right? I said, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I very, uh, I, I love that movie so much, as well as Monster Squad and, and Manhunter, and like Zach said, you know, you've you've been a part, a part of my life pretty much my my entire life, so this is a a huge honor, and and thank you very very much for doing this with us. Yeah, how old are you? Uh, I'm 42. How old are you? I'm 44. So, okay. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're yeah. a little bit younger than you, but, you know, the generation of, uh, uh, now we're yeah. part of the, 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 the retro generation, I guess. I, I personally am, I've been a voice actor for the past few years and I was taking an acting class recently before the pandemic. And, um, one of the actors in the class said, I'm, I'm working on a period piece right now. And I said, "Oh, uh, what, what time? What time period? Uh, the nineteen eighties. I said, "Oh, we're calling that a period piece now." I thought that. Was... <laughs> but speaking when of, I was, oh, yeah, when I was forty, when I was forty, I um, had wisdom teeth that had to be taken out with under great strain because they were really embedded in my jaw. Um, so they left. They they did the procedure and then they gave me a little bottle of pills to take if the pain got bad. And I decided I'd drive to my house upstate. So I drove a couple hours and got there, and then took a couple of these pills. I never I never never done drugs really. Um, it, it was I can't remember what it was, but it it brought on this amazing emotional response. 
that I, I just lay on the floor of my uh, house thinking what it was like to be 40 and that I'd never done what I could have done with my life and that Beethoven was 38 when he died. Oh, I mean, wow. just all these things coming up and weeped yeah. and wept and whatever the word is. And came back to the city sort of renewed and that's what led to a lot of this stuff that I'd done that I, you know, I, I made what happened was and then a lot of other stuff came from that. Uh, but being 40, the age you're at is really, I think a really pivotal point in most people's lives. Oh, that's really interesting that you, first of all, that whatever, uh, I'm not good with pain pills because they cause me to get really nauseous, but I will say that if, if I had some sort of visceral trip like that, uh, maybe, and Corey can speak more accurately to that sort of experience. Um, I, well, you know, both Corey and I being in our forties and also in this stage of our lives, doing truly what we love, um, the passion of, of yeah. following our bliss uh, Joseph Campbell is a hero of mine and really uh, tapping into yeah. tapping into what is not just bringing a quality of content out into the world, but also a quality inward as well, if that makes sense at all. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Well, I'm, I'm just in your wisdom. I, mean, I wasn't recommending taking drugs either. So. <laughs> no, no, of course not. <laughs> I, was, I was just saying. <laughs> well, going back Something really, really quick, 40. how are you doing? Uh, how are you doing amidst all of the craziness in the world? Not very well. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what it is about, about the whole thing, but it. I mean, I know what it is, but I seem to be more affected than a lot of people around me, and I, I have difficulty dealing with it, and it causes a lot of anxiety hmm. for me, and a lot of physical difficulties like I, I get weird symptoms of awful stuff that luckily goes away after a while but I, I have you know it's just it's been a drag and I you know I oh geez there's so much to talk about this but you know I just I came upstate to my house because you know my kids decided they wanted to be in the city and they wanted me to be out of the city because they thought it'd be more dangerous because mm -hmm. I'm 70 um so I came up here and, you know, it's, it, it's been interesting being away from the city during all this and being away from everything. Um, but that's, I, I should just let it go with that. <laughs> yeah. I, my perspective is kind of similar. I was living in LA and my wife and I just moved to Oregon, um, about a, pretty much a year ago, but we had oh. very little time to, to explore. Cause like right when we got here, everything kind of shut down, but it's uh, it's definitely sure. a different perspective being yeah. away from the city and, and kind of like out in the country and, and, you know, you know, it's still happening, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's different. It's a lot different than being really in the midst of things. What, what town in Oregon are you? Um, I'm up in Eugene, uh, about an hour and a half outside of Portland. Well, you don't, you're not, you don't know about Junction City. Are you familiar with that? Uh, yes, I'm, we're actually probably like 15 minutes away from Junction City. Because when I dropped out of college and, and wrote a letter to my draft board saying to try to find me, <laughs> um, that's where I moved. I moved to this commune that was there. Oh, really? Uh, that was populated by people from the living they were populated by people from the Living Theater. I don't know if you guys are familiar mm. with Living Theater. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a theater group. It's a famous theater group from New York City in the mid-60s. 
Julian Beck, who we know from movies, and Judith Molina, his wife. But um, they're really crazy. But the people who were too crazy to to be in in the in living theater moved to Oregon and started this commune, and it was quite insane to leave, you know, Yale, and then you know, three months later, you're living in this commune. And, wow. Yeah. How how long did you stay in Junction City for? I want to say like four four to six weeks. Okay. One night they came to me and said, you know, you got to decide. What, you know, you you haven't really they the people in the commune were getting uptight with me because I wasn't really established there. I didn't say this is where I want to spend the rest of my life, um, which they all thought they would do, and so they asked me what what my you know, plans were and. Uh, I said, let me think about it tonight and in the morning we can talk. And as soon as everybody went to sleep, I packed my bags and, and took off. Oh, wow. Walked out to oh, the geez. highway and hitchhiked, hitchhiked out to the river. I mean, out to the ocean, which I loved. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or, <laughs> it, Oregon's definitely a, a, a unique place as a, as an East coaster who lived, who grew up in Maryland outside of DC and then lived in LA for 13 years and now lives up here. It's uh, it's, in, it's you, Oregon has, it's definitely unique qualities to it. It's a beautiful place and I absolutely love it. And the yeah. ocean here is amazing. The coast. I, I love When's yeah. the last, it's crazy. It's great. When's the last time you uh, were back on this coast? I mean, I mean the whole West coast or just that little area? Yeah. That there? little, that little area or, or just, yeah. Yeah. Um, shit. I mean, I haven't been in Oregon. I, I'm trying to remember. I, I must have done something there. I, I know I did a movie there, but I can't remember what it is. Um, yeah. It's been a while. What's crazy though is I hitchhiked to the coast and started hitchhiking south toward LA on route on, on I guess five is five yeah. out near the coast or is yeah. it yeah. 101? Or the 101. Um, and this, the first, the, the, this van picked me up early that morning after I'd left that commune and it was this panel van that had the, you know, it was like a, and it had, didn't have, it didn't have windows. It was like this delivery place. I got in and I sat on the engine, which is between the two front seats mm -hmm. the front. And there's a bunch of guys in the back, you know, just, I can hear them talking a little and I, I'm talking to the two guys who were driving the van. And then in the middle of some sentence, I was, I hear this voice from the back come and say, is that Tommy Noonan? And I turned around and this kid that I'd gone to grammar school with and most of high school, no who I really didn't like back then. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm, I spent the next six months with this guy. It was just, a, it was the most amazing sort of coincidental experience of which I have a lot. I've had a lot in my life, but. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, that was, That's yeah. wild. Can I say his name? I guess. Sure. If you, if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so. His name is Robert Patton. And we were very, very very competitive in, in grammar school and, and in high school. We both, we both wanted to go to this school and the only way we we're going to get in is if we won the scholarship. And I think I won, but then my parents wouldn't let me go because my brother had gone to that school and they felt anybody who went to that school would turn out like my brother, which they would rather have not happen. Oh. Um, so I ended up not going to that school and then he ended up going because I was, the, you know, he was the next person in line for the scholarship. Wow. I may be inaccurate about that, and if I, if I am, Bobby, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, I, but, but during that time, man, I'd, I spent two or three years just hitchhiking. Um, this is there was back then. There's a whole culture, culture of 
uh, of life in America that was hitchhiking. Yeah. Um, and you'd see hitchhike for a while, and then you'd meet a group of guys who were hitchhiking, and then you'd sort of they'd sort of intermingle, and you'd leave, and there'd be a new group with you. And some of the old guys would go with the old group, and um, I used to I used to, for a while I lived in in this flop house of sorts in Berkeley, California, where um, I think you had to be in by nine and out by five or six in the morning, oh, and you geez. slept in this cage. Um, a series of cages in the room that, that had little had beds and this, this you know anchored you know chain link fence holding you in, and you'd meet these people who'd been hit, who'd been doing it a lot longer than I had, been doing it for years, and I thought, Jesus Christ, this, I don't want to end up like these guys. No, but I sort of did. I, I, I about six months after I got to the West Coast, um, my draft board sent me a letter saying that they had wanted me to, you know, be in there, they wanted me to appear for a physical. Mm. And I wrote them back another nasty letter saying, you know, fuck you, I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to do that. I'm going to go to Canada because, you, you know, you're, it's a moral war. Yeah. Um, and then a couple months, a couple weeks later, not even months, I get a letter from the, from the draft board that, that they had no, no longer interested in, in inducting me because Nixon had dropped bombs on Cambodia and the Congress had cut off funds to the uh, to the um, Department of War or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, I was off. I got I got I went back to the end of the line. There was a, a lottery back then where they put people you know um, were inducted based on by, by a series of numbers. Maybe your letter <laughs> uh, actually helped too. <laughs> They're like, we don't want this guy. <laughs> I don't know. I think they were—they were pretty vindictive. Some of these people, and I—that's well, long stories. I don't want to get into all that. No, I—it's it, yeah. fascinating. I'm fascinated because you know, we could go on and on about specific movies that you've done and 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 what we love about those movies. But but what what I'm intrigued with as as well as Corey is just this idea of like what gets us to where we are today. And I know you you said a series that you've had a, a series of coincidences in your life. Um, I have a acting teacher uh, named Richard Horowitz who says that he doesn't believe in. He says there are no coincidences in his opinion, um, uh-huh. and and I'm trying. I've tried to adopt that over the years um, since I've taken his classes. And this idea that you know what gets you to where you are today, good and bad, and everything in between. Um, the, I'm fascinated with this. You get in this. I want to go back to you being in this van with your with your former classmate Bobby and you had a relationship with him for quite some time after that then like six months yeah wow we traveled together is and did we moved you, down, yeah. we moved down we ended up in Santa Cruz is where we ended up oh yeah I used to hike a uh, big basin to the sea uh it's a very famous trail up there oh yeah really nice so um being a Bay Area guy myself I went swimming every day when I lived there I would swim oh. all winter long I could understand why. Even surfers thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, so, how did you get? So, is this is this the 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 long journey that got you into acting? I mean, when did you start? Were you? How did you get involved with acting? I was living in Boston, and I was a guitar player, and I wanted to be like the fastest guitar player ever lived, <laughs> which didn't really happen. Um, but one but one day, I decided I was going to move to New York, so I moved to New York. And um, I was living with my brother, who was a playwright, and he had a play on that required 
some incidental music. So he came to me and said, can you write incidental music? And I said, sure, yeah. I had no idea like how to write <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, Fake it till you and make so I started, it. I started writing music for, yeah, I, I, I worked, I kept writing pieces for this play and ended up like I wrote like eight things, which were, it was really fun. Um, but I was around actors a lot. And, uh, and I, all, and they were pretty well known with a couple of them and, and well, very accomplished. And, um, I started thinking, well, gee, I could do that. You know, that doesn't seem like it's that difficult to do what they're doing. <laughs> um, so I asked a guy in the cast, I said, how do you get a job doing what you, how do you get a job acting? And they said, we, well, you get this paper called backstage hmm. and it has auditions in it that you can go in. And if you go on non-union ones, union ones are hard to get in on. Yeah. But if you go to the non-union ones, you could probably get a gig. So I, uh, I said, well, is there anything else I need to know? And he said, well, you, you have to have a monologue. And I said, what's a monologue? And he said, well, yeah. And he had the speech, you know, in the play where people talk for a while without anybody talking. It's just you talking. So I thought, shit, how do you find monologue? He said, you have to read plays. I said, well, okay. So I thought, I'm not going to read plays. It's not really worth my time. So <laughs> I would decided I would write these, these, I'd write these little, little plays that were really a, a 90 second play or a two minute play or a four minute play. And I would use those when I went to audition and I would tell them that was, that was a monologue from a, from a play I'd never seen. It never didn't exist. Um, they were too embarrassed to ask me. It's fantastic. You know what the play was. Um, and I, and two weeks after I started doing that, I got a lead in a play. It was a terrible play in a crazy circumstance, but it was, a, I was in a play. Um, and I was on stage every night and I had never been in a play. Wow. Um, and the next job I got was this play called Buried Child by Sam Shepard that was a world premiere, mm -hmm. or I think it was America, New York, New York premiere. Um, and I, and I, my friends all said that hung out with me and said, you should go in here. It's perfect for this part in the play. And I said, yeah, they're never going to hire me. I've done one stupid, you know, little play and I have no reputation. I don't know what I'm doing. They said, go anyway. So I finally, they finally talked me into doing it. And I went in and, um, there's a guy named Robert Woodruff, who was the director who just thought I was the, you know, that I was incredibly funny. He knew that I, he, he said to me later, he said, I knew you had no idea what you were doing, that you had never acted. Because um, I had this fake bio with you know, a resume with all this. But um, I got the job. And I was in this play that won the Pulitzer Prize. I, was, I ran for a year. And by the time the, the, uh, the run was over, I was doing movies. Wow. So less than a year after wow. I started acting, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I was, I, I think I did four or five little parts, but you know. Um, I was on my way, sort of. It felt like I, I found what I always wanted to do, and it was a weird sort of way that it happened. And, um, and had you abandoned... But I was very, very fortunate, like having that, the, the guitar. Yeah, I was going to say, had you abandoned playing guitar at, at that point? What happened is, after I talked to these guys in this play and figured out how you get a job acting, I went to my guitar and I took it out of its case and I held it and I said, you know, I love you and it's been really great hanging right and do all this music we did together and I'm going to put you in the case now and close it. I'm never going to open it again. Um, I have to let go. Wow. And then it's, wow. it makes me sad writing the story. Um, that's, that's a, that's a very never, strong. And I never, never played it again. Wow. That, that's a very strong energetic commitment right yeah. there. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. 
so then I, I, I think that, yeah, and I, and I, I was also older than most of the people I auditioned with. Um, I was probably 27 or eight at that time. Mm -hmm. And I'd never acted ever at all. And not even in grammar school. I hated, hated plays. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it did it, it, like letting, you know, sort of jumping off from what I was doing you know, musically and, and going to something I had no idea about was, it was, it was sort of exciting, but crazy. But I used to go to auditions all the time and I'd, sit, I'd come in and sit down in this room and I would just think to myself, I don't want to end up like these sad motherfuckers. Mm. It seemed like actors were so, you know, wanting to please and what, you know, and giving them what they, they thought they wanted. And I thought it was just crazy. And I try, I'm very, very lucky that I ended up working with directors that sort of felt the same way and it really encouraged me to to do things the way I wanted to do them and not the way that, you know, anybody else thought I should do them. Yeah, like I mean, the producers. I was going to say early on, you know, working with somebody like John Cassavetes, um, who, who was, you know, I know you had a small role in, in Gloria, but um, but nevertheless, that must have been a, a great opportunity. Yeah, what, what happened is I, I, my my acting teacher said they're looking for thugs to be in this play in this movie and they really were really so i i said and they said you should, in time it's time you should go in so i go in and they're in this room and there's this guy lula russo who's i think it's lula russo but i can't remember his name the, the casting guy said now we're going to go in there we're going to see mr Casabetti's. do not look at him do not talk to him do not move toward him just walk in stand there and then we're going to turn around and walk back out everybody with me on this oh, jesus said, yeah <laughs> the door open to the the door open to the cat to the to the casting room and I ran, I cut ahead of everybody, ran across the room, grabbed Cassavetes and said, you gotta put me in your movie, I wanna work with you. I'm doing this play right now called Buried Child, you gotta come see it. You, and the, meanwhile, the, the casting guy is like, he got his arm, he's trying to drag me out of the room. Um, and I got a call on my act, on my service, like um, 10 minutes after I left, left their office saying that he had offered the job to me. Wow. Um, it was a tiny job. Um, and I said, I'll do it, but I'm going to put this in the contract that unless you come to my play, I'm not going to do it. So they all, so John Cassavetes and Jenna Rollins and Peter Falk and, and all these guys, they all come to, to see Barry Child. No way. You know, in this thing that, yeah, they came and then afterwards they took, they took me and this person who I was hanging out with at the time, um, through this restaurant in the neighborhood there where it was Sheridan Square, downtown Manhattan. Okay. Um, yeah, that, and that's, you know, after about a couple weeks on that job, he came to me when Cassidy's came to me and said, you don't want to be here, do you? And I said, well, well you're not really. I mean, it's not so interesting. I, I wanted to get to know you, but I don't want to do this movie. He said, yeah, yeah I understand. <laughs> he, uh, he, just just don't, don't come tomorrow. It's okay. I'll get somebody else. And I said, okay. But then I had a relationship with them by then. And now yeah. I would, when I wrote scripts, I would send them scripts and call them and talk to them on the phone. And, you know, I spent a lot of time with them the next couple of years before he died. Um, wow. That, yeah. That's a, that, that's, that's a, uh, that's, that's wild. First of all, <laughs> yeah. would, had, had you always, well, I, was, I mean, yeah, you started out telling a story about, you know, making your way out to Oregon and, have you always been yeah. that kind of like, I know what I want, 
Um, this is how I feel, and I'm going to tell you how I feel. Have you always been that kind of person? I don't think. I mean, I wouldn't put it that way. Okay. I mean, I've, I've always been pretty quiet and not like pushy, but I just sort of I, I I knew what I liked and I knew what I liked, what felt good. Okay. And I thought feeling good is you know it's it's really important. Yeah. Feeling you know feeling joy in what you do. If without that, there's what's the point of doing it? Um, that's, that's yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And 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 I want to jump a little bit ahead, if that's okay. But just this idea that uh, you sure, sure. you you started out from you know in 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 a sense like a bullet from a gun, just like going out, and next thing you know, it's you're just doing it, uh, and, and which is inspiring. It's really inspiring. I don't care if it's you know late 70s early 80s or now um I, I, that that idea of not wanting to be miserable and wanting to find the joy is is very inspiring and um and very much appreciated that you shared yeah. that story with us so thank you um yeah yeah i would say you know for yeah. me personally i know you working with michael mann michael mann is one of my favorite directors of all time um and i think when you did manhunter it really captivated me uh, on many levels um i i've always been a fan of you know like kind of french new wave and colors and just the Im- music and images and your presence on screen was very fascinating to me because uh in, a, in i don't i don't mean this in the way it sounds but i had a stepfather around the same time who very much looked like you um and then i see manhunter and, oh. and it was kind of uh my relationship with him was was not it wasn't bad but it was just it was just different and i didn't really connect with him in the way that he always seemed kind of detached to me yeah and so your 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 character in manhunter francis dollaride um i don't know like in a weird way i related to the disconnect that you had from from society um so it, uh-huh. it, it was very fascinating to me uh even as a kid at the time when i saw it and, and terrifying too, because I'm like, is that, is, that, is that what my stepdad's going to turn into? <laughs> <You know? laughs> he didn't. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about Manhunter? How old were you at this time? I was ten at the time. So sure. Um, you know, ten. I'm ten. Yeah. You watched an end under when you were ten, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So um, that that's the, the the whole point of our podcast, by the way, is movies. Initially, when Corey and I were brainstorming our podcast, we uh, Corey was like, you know, th- these are movies that we weren't allowed to see as kids. Right. Uh, for whatever reason. Uh-huh. And I was he and I both being <laughs> yeah. latchkey kids in front of the TV uh, for for a lot, of, you know, hours on end uh, watching stuff that maybe wasn't appropriate <laughs> at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, you know, gets takes me to Manhunter and I go, OK, this cha- was a life changing film for me at the time. Still is. Um, yeah. You know, your experience on that was obviously pretty remarkable right yeah what happened is i mean i told this story a lot so it's just, i'll try to get through it really quickly um he called me in for an appointment i got called for to, to read for a dollar francis dollar and I, the, I think the appointment was for like 10 30 to meet him at the studio up in midtown so i went there i got there early and i, I sat down and i was feeling sort of okay and and it's 10 30 and then it was 11 and then it was 11 30 then it was 12 and all these guys from Steppenwolf, the theater company, were coming in and reading and all going in ahead of me, even though I had the appointment. 
and I got I was not real thrilled with this hmm. um, and I got pretty pissed off and then I thought fuck it I'm gonna go in there so they, they they called me I came into this room and I don't know if you know much about Michael Michael's has a real presence he's a very he's sort of like Beethoven looking um, guy and you just you don't talk back I mean I learned this over time that you don't argue with him or talk back to him he's I walked into the room and I said I'm reading and then I'm leaving let's go wow. and he said okay where's well, the script and there's they had me read with they had me read this woman who was um, she had she had been a casting assistant but now she was a casting director a casting person and I was gonna read with her and for some reasons somehow without doing very much and not doing anything that extravagant I sort of scared the shit out of her and as I felt myself scaring the shit out of her I could feel Michael drifting around in the room watching what I was doing and I could tell he was really excited and it and it was a great feeling when someone really loves what you're doing as an actor it's just very I can't explain it it's just great yeah um, and so when I finished the I finished the reading and uh, I started to get up and get my stuff and he said I just want to ask you one question I said I'm not talking to you I told you I was gonna come in I was gonna read and then I'm leaving and I'm leaving and I leave and I'm walking away, you know, thinking, well, I blew that one. And uh, my agent calls me and said, what happened? And I said, what do you mean what happened? He said, well, he, he wants to meet you immediately. He wants you to come there now. I said, you yeah, know, maybe tomorrow. He said, what do you mean maybe tomorrow? <laughs> I said, you got to go now. And I said, well, okay, okay, okay. I, I, in a little while, I'll, I'll go there. So I go back to the the, the, the audition place and they, they rush me in right away. Very different than the first time. And I bet. <laughs> he starts talking about what, what he saw in me doing that. And, and it, he said, well, how, how do you think you do that? Whatever it was you do. And I said, scared people are very scary. And I'm a very scared person. Hmm. And he said, that's wow. it. I said, yeah. And I said, and then he said, don't forget that. And, uh, and then they hired me. And even though I, I, I turned it down a couple times. I was crazy. I'd done one little, one or two little tiny parts. I was nobody, and this is sort of a big deal. Yeah. And uh, I, I asked for more money than they wanted to give, and they asked all this stuff, and it ended up getting almost everything I wanted, and it made it really, really great. And Michael sort of, I don't know. He, I really, I never, I rarely had a conversation with the man. I, I spent a lot of time with him, but he used to come into my camper and. Um, and just sit in the dark with me while they were setting up the lights, which would go on, sometimes go on for hours. We'd just sit there. And that was, that was, no, he rarely ever said anything to me about anything I was doing. Um, he was just, he would once in a while, when I looked like I was struggling, he'd come over and he'd say, don't forget your audition. I'd say, okay. Wow. Um, but he was very cool. He, cause he was not cool sometimes with people. He was, yeah. he could be really, brusque and cruel and difficult and I, I he never was that way with me but he was that way with people around me and it was it was was sort of illuminating intruder entered through kitchen sliding door nationwide victims 
Yeah, this is Will Graham of the FBI. One killer. This is what the subject's teeth look like. Have you ever seen blood on the moon like that? William, you're gonna make yourself sick or get yourself killed. Multiple trails. Just you and me now, sport. One hunter. I'm gonna find you, damn it. FBI agent Will Graham. Manhunter. Well, it sounds like he he really he really connected with you and your character, um, or he really. And I don't, I mean, yeah. I'm speculating, obviously not being, <laughs> we're not the ones that were there, but what a trip that must've been for you as well, coming into this feeling like, yeah, I haven't really yeah. done a whole lot. Um, and then being treated in such a way of like, really just uh, gently molded like this. I don't know. It's very fascinating to me. I, did you, in, in your relationship yeah. with him, obviously is that how you ended up getting the part in Heat? Was that because of your relationship with him, or was that just happenstance? Yeah. Or? Okay. I mean, he knew what I could do. Yeah. He knew what I he knew what I could do, and he liked me, and and you know, I knew De Niro a little bit, but not much, not enough to have any effect on my getting the job. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Heat is Heat is one of those. Yeah, that, and that was fun. It's it's it was very positive and very different than it was on the set of Manhunter. Hmm much more relaxed and, and working with De Niro was really, he's just great to work with. He's the, you know, one of the great, you know, whether, I don't know, just, he's just an amazing guy to, to be around and, and, and sort of his, his supporting people. Like he would just keep saying, keep going, keep going, keep saying crazy, keep saying more stuff, you know, talk more about, you know. Oh really? That's and cool. I thought, gee, you can't do that with Michael Mann. You can't just suddenly change stuff. He said, hey, don't worry about it. Just, just make up some shit. So oh, wow. you know, it, it's a short scene. It's not much, but um, it came a lot through my hanging out with De Niro and him. You know, well, I don't know what like liking what I was doing or, or having fun doing it with me. That was always a, a trip to me to see uh, actors or people I admired on screen and then see them again later on in another role. And as as a young viewer, in, in recognizing, oh wait a minute, that's that's him from blah 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 blah. You know and. And really getting excited about that. And when you came yeah. on in Heat as Kelso, and yeah, you're right, it's a small scene, but it, it's still Im- very impactful in my mind um, and stands out to me huh. because it Thank just, you. yeah, you're welcome. I, I just, it, I feel like so many moments in that film feel that way. Like th- this may be a small scene, but it is so critical to the pacing and the movement and the progression of this story. Um, and obviously, you being in it was yeah. was another great moment for me. Got a pin on here of the uh, cash flow of the bank for the past two months. How do you get this information? It just comes to you. This stuff just flies through the air. They send this information out. I mean, it's just beamed out all over the fucking place. You all have to do is know how to grab it. See, I know how to grab it. I just want to go back a little bit because yeah, I, I know I know. Uh, Sure. In a couple of weeks, there's a documentary called Wolfman's Got Nards coming out <laughs> from Andre Gower. And uh, really? okay. yeah, so it's more of a. And I, I'm not in it? I, well, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> I think it's more of a personal uh, recollection of the film, of his experience on it. Um, I mean, you are 
yeah. you're pivotal as as Frankenstein in that movie, and obviously, uh, and and I mean, so many questions about that film. Just the idea of you know being under that makeup for probably an, an obscene amount of time. I would assume, right? Yeah, a lot of time. Yeah. Was was that film <laughs> uh, challenging to work with a bunch of little kids? No, not particularly. I mean, I was I just sort of latched on to to, um, to what's the name the makeup guy um, Stan, Stan Winston. Yeah, Stan Winston. I love Stan. Stan was just this crazy, great, amazing person, um, and so good at what he does. He was a difficult guy, and not not somebody who's very friendly and would do a lot of sort of cruel and awful things to people. But um, he was just. I, so I didn't. I didn't really think about the kids. I just thought that I didn't want them to see me ever. A lot of them didn't know. Like I would show up on the on location and walk through this the, the set, and then nobody nobody knew that I was Frankenstein. I mean, none of the and I made sure the adults didn't tell the kids. So they they never knew that I was just this guy. Oh wow. Um, and I wanted to make sure they. I wanted to make sure they stayed scared of me to a degree during the whole thing, um, to make to make thing make sense. Uh, and that would have been hard to do if I was chummy with them. Clearly, uh, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I I I had a good time doing that job, and um, but the movie didn't come out for a while. I don't know. I was busy and doing stuff. I didn't see it when it first came out, and so about twenty years later, twenty five years later, I got I started. I went to this convention where you sign autographs and get money, which is sort of a crazy thing, um, <laughs> and. You know, and uh, they had a screening of the movie, and I brought my kids with me. And I thought, well, I've never, I sort of remember the movie, but I don't remember much about it because I also don't read scripts when I get a job. Um, I don't, I only read my own lines, and it's one of those guys. Hmm. So it was sort of great to see it. It was such, a, it was such a good movie, and it was so different in my than my memory of making it. Um, and it was, it was really fun. when you have ghosts but who do you call when you have monsters we're the monster squad what's a squad it's like miami vice i think they're young and inexperienced naughty virgin they're a bit disorganized monsters are not real we don't know that sir two thousand year old dead guys do not get up and walk away by themselves but when strange things start happening in town... There's a monster in my closet. Ooh! Look at that big, scary monster! What's happening? You wait for the werewolf. Silver bullet? They're the only ones ready to do battle. Something's out there that's killing people. And if it's monsters, nobody's gonna do a thing about it but us. By midnight... You guys! <laughs> They won't seem so young anymore. The Monster Squad. I was gonna, I was gonna jump a little bit into your directing um, before we talk about what happened. Was you, you directed a couple episodes of the television show Monsters, which both Corey and I are huge <laughs> fans of. <Yeah. laughs> How did that all come about? Yeah, <laughs> or not? I wrote this. Uh, well, 
I I wanted to I I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn how to direct and learn more about camera and editing and stuff. And so I started. I, I acted in one of their in their second or third show of the first season of um, Tales from the Dark Side. Yes. I did this thing with Danny, Danny DeVito. Um, so I sort of knew the guys on the on the set after that. Who you know Richard um, or what is it? Fuck, I can't remember their names. Um, but. Uh, I started sending them scripts, you know, as because at that point it, it turned into monsters. Yeah. And uh, I kept I would write, I would write them a script a week for like months, and wow. pretty good stuff compared to what they were showing. Generally, <laughs> they never wanted to do anything I wanted to do. One day, Bob Balaban had also worked at Monsters, and he he was in the, he was in the midst of trying to get extracted. He didn't want to do this job this the script that they had given him and they said you know why let, write something for me so i wrote started writing stuff for bob balvin and finally bob got approved the, the script and um i said well this is great and he said yeah yeah but what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna i'm gonna drop out of being the director too and you can be you can be the director now and i said that's never gonna work but it worked he he just he said he couldn't do it, told them he had, I don't know what he told them. Um, and they said, use Tom, because he wrote the script and it's, it's really good. And I know that he, you know, he really wants to do this and he's, he's, really, he's really worked at learning, um, which was true. So the, I got the job through Bob. Um, and, you know, it was, it was hard. There was, they, they, there was they so little time for actual acting. Yeah. They, all they wanted to do is they wanted to have these great sight gags. They wanted to have great mm. effects. And that was very, very difficult to, to work under that sort of strain of, of having to not have the money to do the effects right and then not being able to work on the, the, the substance of the scripts because they didn't have time after they spent all these reshoots of, of, of the fact, I don't know, but, you know. Was this for that? This was for the bargain, there, right? I, those guys, are, we, the bargain is the first thing I was in with Danny. Okay. Oh, that's right. Um, um, I think. And then the second. Uh, although, you know, you're, no, you're right. You know, it is a bargain. It's it's Kim Kim Grace, yeah. Yeah, from Manhunter. Kim Grace is in it. Um, Manhunter, yeah. <laughs> but you guys didn't yeah, interact. The second one, I, I forget what's this. Um, the the Malcolm, right? Sorry, what? The other one was Malcolm. Oh, that's what that's, Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's a script I wrote about. It's it's about my father, because um, my father was a jazz musician, who sort of quit um, playing to be with my mother. Wow. Uh, it just it was always a hard thing for me, um, and I, you know that was sort of what I wrote about. Uh, Did I mean that yeah. sounds like a very that, uh, that was a very heartfelt inspiration for that story. Did did the story turn out the the way you sort of wanted it to? I mean I know what you you just said about the the, the quality no. of the monster <laughs> show, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was hard to do stuff yeah to, past a certain point. But I you know I did the best I could do, and you know I. Actually, pay. Actually, Ed Lauder was in it. Yeah, and I love Ed Lauder. He wouldn't do it for the amount of money they were offering, so I, I paid him on the side money. Really? Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, I just remember so, that. I haven't thought of that. <laughs> I haven't thought of this in fifty years. Oh, so um, like, it's um, nice. To, it's nice to bring up something yeah. that you haven't talked about for a while. So. <laughs> I've never. Was, did, I, did, yeah, I think I ever have. What was there a reason you wanted him specifically? Did, did he remind you of your dad a little bit? 
he reminded me, he, he reminded and looked like my father a little bit. He was also a, in a Hitchcock movies. Um, mm. Because also who's in Malcolm is, what's his name? Um, Farley Granger. Strangers on a Train. Yeah, Farley, Farley Granger's also yeah. in it. Yeah. And he was, you know, he did, he did, he did two, he did two uh, Hitchcock movies. That's right. I want everybody in the, in the, in the cast to be in Hitchcock movies. <laughs> well, I mean, come on, you're good. Yeah. You're, you're, you're getting a plus quality actors. So, uh, in my opinion, so, you know, yeah, yeah. So that, they're that, pretty good. I mean, Ed, Ed was good to work with and Farley was like on Mars a little. <laughs> well, at that point too, yeah, because this was in like 1990, which, uh, you, uh, you know, it's a little far removed from strangers on a train, I suppose. Yeah. But, yeah. Th- but this led, this led into, sorry about that. Did you hear that? Did you... <laughs> no, no, we didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. No, you're fine. This led into what happened was, oh, okay, right. And what happened yeah. was, is I would consider, I would say that's probably pre- pretty near and dear to your heart, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I had, God, I can tell this story really quick. What happened is I was, I was on, um, Robocop two. And I started twitching um, when I was acting. And it, it made it so that it was difficult to do takes because it wasn't a twitch that you, you thought you, were, you could see, but it, you could really see it. Like a so nervous, a nervous twitch? Yeah. And it was a muscular thing. And my cheek was just jumping. Mm. Um, and so uh, I sat down and thought, like, what, what, what is the world? And what's my body trying to tell me? And it and it came back and said that you sh- you shouldn't be doing these stupid movies. Um, <laughs> so I called up my agent and said I'm going to take like a I'm going to take like a year off, and I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to like maybe write a little. So that was that was at the end of the summer of 1990 probably. I just come back from Sundance, the workshop stuff, which I had done a lot of. Yeah. And I ended up I, I had a date June 12th of, as an opening date of the a play that I. I wanted to write, having no idea what the play was about. Um, and I wrote play after play, and they all sucked, until finally I, that play came to me, and I wrote it in like two days. Um, and it, it, I don't know, I just felt a real connection to this stuff that was, that, that was in that script. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, I, and we we did it as a play, uh, which was great for me too. We we did it. We did a five week run at my theater. I have a theater on East Fourth Street in Manhattan, um, mm. where I've done a lot of the stuff I've done. And uh, so you know, we, it was. Uh, I don't know how to. I mean, I should just. It's hard to describe it quickly. Um, the thing though, that there they are some companies now remastering the the, the movie. Yes. Um, we re- retimed the picture and we've done a lot of work, sound work. Um, and I think in the next six months, they're going to release it uh, theatrically. Oh, wow. And I didn't think there were movie theaters around anymore, but yeah, yeah, they're going to do that and then try to have, have another run at video. Um, so I've been working on that a lot the last couple of months. Oh, that's exciting. I mean, it's hard to describe how much, how important, I mean, how much that movie changed my life and, you know, both artistically and commercially. And I don't know, it just was, it, you know, it was meant a lot to me. Well, I, I wish I had done more and I, I'm very 
sort of disappointed that I haven't, but yeah, it's, it's pretty, you do your best. I really appreciate you sharing that story about, about saying, you know, I need to get away from this and kind of reevaluate. Um, it is interesting physically what your body tells you and gives you a signal uh, internally, something's yeah. going on and you've got to change it up. And, and I'm glad you listened to it because what came out of that has been, yeah. in my opinion, a lot of quality ever since. Um, you know, it's, it's, oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, and it's exciting to know that, y- that your, your film is going to get a new set of eyes on it. Yeah. Yeah. And also led to me, me, it's how it's, well, that's how I met Charlie Kaufman. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he had seen my movie back in, I think, 95. He had seen it at some uh, small little venue in Minnesota. And he wrote me an email, um, which I eventually was able to find. Um, he wrote this email saying that, you know, he, my movie inspired him. And now he knew that he could make movies. Oh, and wow. he's been very, very supportive of me and, you know, um, using me a lot as an actor in his movies and, and just generally just being a very good friend and, you know, sort of cool guy to hang out with. That's, that's quite a compliment uh, coming from him because he's, he's such an accomplished, yeah. accomplished um, you know, artist. Yeah. That's really, really yeah, cool. That was, that was a good period. That's when I met Louis C.K. and worked, and worked with him a bunch um, and became close with him. To degree, I guess. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and then you yeah. you were able to, you were on the sh- on the show Louis, as well, and uh, I mean you've been all over the place. <laughs> it's it, and it's it really uh, I, I've always felt too that. I know Corey had brought up uh, RoboCop too, and I apologize again if <laughs> if that obviously brought out the, um, uh, the 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 catalyst for change, um, but your your range has been so broad, yeah. you know. But I did like, I, but I did, I did, I did really enjoy doing that movie. And I really, uh, you know, Erwin Kirshner is just a great, great person and talented guy who didn't get the treatment he should. He was really badly treated by the, by the producers of that movie. Um, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't anybody in it or anything, but I just, it just wasn't, that wasn't the kind of thing I should have been doing, you know. Yeah, because I, I mean, I know Corey. You're obviously a big fan, and and it's mm-hmm. it, it's a really it's a good it's a really good sequel, in my opinion too. Um, it doesn't get the praise that I think it deserves, and but yeah, obviously wasn't the right avenue where you were going, and where you did go, and what you yeah. are doing, um, is fantastic, and I want to thank you for oh, that. Thanks. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, but I like I said earlier yeah. at the be- at the beginning. I mean, I love RoboCop too, and I, I you know, but it just it, it's amazing, and and thank you, and you know, uh, Monster Squad is such a near and dear to my yeah. heart, as well as Manhunter. You know, I mean, Zach Zach's kind of said more, but you know, Manhunter was also near and dear dear to my heart. I saw it probably at an age that I probably shouldn't have as well. But like I said, you know, your, your, your characters, I've, I've always enjoyed your characters and, and, you know, like with Kane and Robocop too, it's, it's still awesome. You know, I, I love having that character in my life and you have yeah. such a fun character to sort of watch. <laughs> what was also nice is that last action hero, the, the money that I made from acting in that is what paid for what happened was. Oh, and they, that's nice. They were, they were really cool about, they were, 
they would let me go and go back to New York and work on the movie while we were shooting and guaranteeing me weeks that I could be free to, you know, get a crew together. Um, so it, it, that was that was a very helpful production for me. That's really nice to hear. Uh, I had uh, interviewed Hart Bachner, and he kind of had said the same thing that he he would do some of these films sometimes that allowed him uh, the opportunity to make his own movies and where he found, you know, the, it was a, it was a, it was a, a, tr a good trade-off in his opinion to be able to do that because it afforded him the opportunity to make a movie that he really cared about. Um, and like I said earlier, it's nice that what happened was is going to get a new lease on life as well. There'll be, and, and that's going to come out next Hopefully, year, you yeah. said? I don't know. I mean, we've, we're halfway through the process of sort of, uh, you know, fixing it up. So I, I would feel like that. Like, I mean, it depends a lot on the pandemic and whether theaters are open and, you know, I'm also losing, I'm in the, in the, in the danger of losing my theater right now. Oh no. Um, because we can't, we're not, we're not allowed to use the building really that we have. And, uh, and we had to give back all the money to people who had, booked space there last year. And so we're sort of bankrupt. Mm. Um, and it's very, very likely we'll, uh, you know, I'll lose the building. Um, which is Sorry to hear drag that. After 37 years. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, um, um, hopefully there's, that doesn't, that's not the case, but you know, I, I would, yeah. I was going to tell you really quickly though, a good, um, um, a good friend of mine actually used, sure, sure. I don't know exactly what piece, but uh, he, when he was starting, when he started out acting, he used a piece from what happened. What happened was uh, in an acting class. So oh. uh, it was in a in a roundabout oh. way. I told him I was interviewing yeah. you, and he's like, "Oh, why? Well, I, I actually used a piece from What Happened Was." And I'm like, "Oh, that's that. <laughs> I didn't know that. Why didn't you tell me?" So yeah. the night, and he goes, "I just did." So um, yeah. be, before we wrap up, uh, I, I was going to ask you just really quickly because because. And and I don't know if it's if it's a sensitive subject or not, but the fact that you were a guitarist, were were there artists that you uh, admired um, growing up? That John McLaughlin, John McLaughlin. Okay. John McLaughlin. And what was it about John McLaughlin? Miles Davis, once in a while, you know. He played really fast. <laughs> he played fast, and he also just he so loved it, and it, there was just so much feeling behind him. And and going to see them, maybe you, you probably never saw them in person. It was just unbelievable. They would play the first chord of Intermounting Flame, and it felt like a wave was crashing mm. into the theater. I never saw anything like it or since. It was just <clears throat> really, really cool. Well, I um, I never had an opportunity. I mean, I like oh. Jeff Beck. I like Eric Clapton. Go ahead. I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you if you're familiar with uh, the artist Terry Reed. No. I know the name, but I don't know where it's from, so I don't think I do. Well, he turned down being in Led Zeppelin. He was good friends with Jimmy Page, and uh, and Jimmy had invited him oh. to be the singer for Led Zeppelin, and he had his own career going on at the time, uh, fairly popular, and he turned it down. Obviously, the rest is history, but he's a phenomenal guitarist and um, has jazz influences yeah. as well, so... Uh, that's another story for another cool. podcast, but but for, for sure. But um, thank you so much, sir. Um, Mr. Noonan, okay. this was a pleasure. I, I hope this was a fairly enjoyable experience for you, and I really really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it was cool. Thank you. And thank I look, you so much, and Mr. I look, Noonan. Look forward to having you um, 
you know, we look forward to hearing some positive stories coming out uh, in the near future. I hope everything goes well for you. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Okay. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to Podcasting After Dark's exclusive interview series with Tom Noonan. And, as always, thank you for your support. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone? Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.